The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, there was an important question going on in our country this week. Of course, there's always a lot of things that are going on in our country as well as in the world that, that gets our attention. But this particular question caught the attention of a lot of people. What color is that dress? That was floating around on the internet and on Facebook and all sorts of things. And I know my daughter was obsessed with it. Kept asking everybody, what do you see? Well, that's not what I see. Now, why were people seeing that dress sometimes as, as gold or white or blue and brown? Well, there's a lot of different explanations for it. We don't need to go into that. But the point is, people were seeing things in a different way. The same dress, but seeing it in a different way. It just points out what we, how, the truth about life, that we see things in different ways. What about this? What do you see? Gets a little blurry, doesn't it? And sometimes that happens because we have a, a vision problem. Now, one vision problem might be that you're cross-eyed. Maybe as kids you did that. It was kind of funny to do it, to see how things look or maybe to make yourself look different. But think about how tough it would be if your eyes were always crossed. What if you went through life and things were always blurry? You'd have to be very careful where you were going. Maybe you would be uncertain about what you needed to do or, or what a message was that you were supposed to read. It just highlights that sometimes we have vision problems. As we continue on in our series of messages this month, we're looking at the cross and the purposes God has for it. Today we want to see that we should be cross-eyed. Now, cross-eyed, first of all, is probably a problem with vision. But we're going to see how that's the correct way to look at things. Well, let's first start talking about some vision problems that we might have. And I'm talking about spiritual vision problems. You know, physically, maybe our vision is off, and so we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong? Well, let's do that also with our heart. Is your vision blurry? If you have blurry eye vision, you know, you can't see things very clearly. If you're trying to read something, the words are not clear. If you're looking at something, it isn't quite clear. And that could affect the way you walk, the direction you take, what it is you want to do, what it is you're supposed to know. And that can be true spiritually as well. If we have blurry spiritual vision, then maybe we can't see God's will very clearly. Maybe we're unsure of what it is he wants us to do, what his purpose is for our life, what his direction is for us. Maybe we're unclear about what it is we're supposed to do in certain situations, and we can't recall what God's message is to us. So it is possible that we could have blurry spiritual vision. Sometimes people will refer to themselves as being nearsighted or, or farsighted. Nearsighted meaning you can see the things that are near, but farther away things get blurry and hard to see. 
and far-sighted just reverse. The things that are close up are blurry, but a little far, farther off is fine. Well, those could be symptoms of spiritual vision problems as well. If we're nearsighted spiritually, maybe we're only thinking about the things here, right now, today. You know, uh, what is my faith doing for me today? If it's nothing, then why bother? Or what is God going to do for me today? Or as we had in our scripture lessons, what has he given me? What do I want from him that I need today? And we fail to see farther off how we need God. But that nearsightedness could also mean that we're just looking at ourselves. We're just thinking about ourselves and not thinking about others. Spiritual farsightedness. Maybe we're thinking, well, you know, faith is good uh, for later on. You know, when I'm older or when I have kids and I need to have them in church or when I'm older and I'm now thinking about death. And then we fail to see the things that are close up. Or farsighted might be that we're just thinking about things farther away and not thinking about those who are around us right now. Maybe we're not seeing how faith applies to us right now. What's your spiritual vision like? Are you nearsighted or farsighted? Another vision problem, you might have watery eyes. Maybe they're watery because you have allergies. Maybe something has gotten into your eye and it's an irritant, and so it's kind of itchy. Or maybe it's watery because you're crying. Spiritually, maybe we're hurting. Maybe we're sad. Maybe there's something that just doesn't sit right with us, and it's like an allergy, and it causes some confusion, some sadness, some sorrow, and we need comfort. Is your spiritual vision like that? Sometimes our vision can have a problem simply because it's covered or blocked in some way. You know, maybe cataracts are forming. Or maybe there's just something in the way that you, you can't see around it very clearly. It's blocking your vision. Well, that can happen spiritually too. Worldly things can get our attention. The things of this life can block our view. Maybe the, the wants and the pleasures of, of the flesh, of the world, get in there and, and block what, what God's will is for us. And, and maybe we fail to see some of the spiritual pleasure, pleasures that God has given us. Is your vision blocked or covered? And then there's times when maybe we just close our eyes, right? When I really don't want to pay attention to that. I really don't want to be involved with that. I really don't want to know anything about it. And so we turn the other way. Or maybe we just, as we say, my eyes are closed to that. I just don't want to see it. I don't want to get involved. And that might be true spiritually as well. Certain things maybe that we just don't want to know. We just don't want to hear about. Because maybe that involves some change. Or maybe it involves a feeling of guilt. Or something that I'm being called to do. And I just don't want to do that. And so we close our eyes off to what God's will and direction is for us. Is your spiritual vision closed off? 
well, with making that list of vision problems, they were basically asking the question, what's your eyesight like? What's your faith sight like? Do you have any symptoms of those problems? Well, what happens when you have problems with your eyes, with your physical vision? Well, you go to the doctor, right? All of a sudden, you've started to notice things are getting a little blurry. Or maybe you're starting to feel some headaches and some tension because your eyes are working too hard on things. And so what do you do? You go to the doctor. Now, just like with the rest of our health, we should get regular eye checkups so that if there is any problem that's developing, the doctor can detect it and make the correction early. Well, the same is true spiritually. We should check to see what our spiritual vision is, to keep it sharp, to keep its focus correct. And when we start to see that things are getting out of focus, when we start to feel some of the troubles spiritually, some of the pain, some of the headaches, some of the stress, maybe it's time for a checkup. What is the doctor going to do? He'll make you look at an eye chart, right? Can you read those lines? Can you see things clearly? But what about this eye chart? Do you see the message? God is closer than you think. Do you see that clearly with your heart? But do you notice that there's another message there? In the fine print, I can't read it, so I have to look at the manuscript here. <laughs> if God is always with us, why is he so hard to find? Is that a question that you ask? Is that something you think about? Do you have a little trouble seeing that, that God is always with you? Do you have trouble finding God? You see, maybe we need to have our spiritual vision checked and corrected. How does that happen? Well, as we're going to see today from our scripture text, the correct, corrected vision is being cross-eyed. Cross-eyed is not a problem. Cross-eyed is the correct way to look at things. And that simply means we see the purpose of the cross for our life. Today I want to take you into the portion of Scripture that puts us at the end of Jesus' life when he's being buried. And from there we see how our vision gets corrected, how it's made to be cross-eyed. All four gospel accounts record the burial of Jesus. Each writer adds a little bit to, to the account. I want to share with you or read for you the account from the Apostle John, and then I'll add a few other comments along the way uh, that the other gospel writers included. Later, meaning after Jesus had died. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who, had, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. 
Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now why look at the burial of Jesus? First of all, our attention is called to it. All four writers of the Gospels include the details about the burial. Why? Luke, when he starts out his account, starts with the word, look, or behold, which simply meant, take a look at this. Pay special attention to what is going on. He was calling our attention not so much to the burial itself, but to what was bringing it about. All the writers call our attention to these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Let's take a little look at who they are. We're told that Joseph was a rich man, and he was also a ruler in the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. That was the council that was always at tension with Jesus. That was the group of men who had voted to put Jesus to death. But Luke also tells us that he was a righteous man. They all tell us he was a disciple of Jesus, a believer. Luke called him righteous, meaning that he was one who believed in his salvation that came from Jesus. When Luke would use that word righteous, that's exactly what he was referring to. Luke, for example, was the one who told us about that elderly man, Simeon, who held the baby Jesus in his arms in the temple. He was called righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the comfort that was to come to Israel, meaning salvation. And that elderly lady, Anna, who saw the baby Jesus in the temple, went around telling everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so with that word righteous, we see that he was a believer in Jesus as his Savior. We might also note, though, that he was a risk taker. Now, John tells us that he was a disciple secretly because of fear from the Jews, but not anymore. First of all, he did not cast his vote to have Jesus put to death. So already he was standing out as different. But even now, he goes, and Mark tells us, boldly to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Now he's identifying himself with Jesus. He's making a statement. He's giving a testimony. I believe that Jesus is my Lord. Along with Joseph, there was another member of that Jewish ruling council, Nicodemus. He was the one, John said, who came to Jesus at night. He had some questions. Are you from God? Who exactly are you? And when Jesus told him 
that in order to get into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. He asked, how could that be? And Jesus told him he had to be born again of water and the Spirit. Jesus then pointed to himself and said, just as Moses raised up that serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be raised up and all eyes would be drawn to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son to save the world. These two men knew the gospel. They knew what the cross was about. Now, I'm not sure if they made all the theological connections like we can do today, but they understood this. Jesus was their Lord and Savior. And the death of Jesus didn't cause doubts. It didn't bring about any denial on their part, but rather made them daring to testify now that Jesus is their Lord. And so they go to bury their Lord. Here's what they see. Let's take a look at Jesus' burial. Here are the facts. Jesus is dead. That's the reality. The result of that, many of Jesus' followers doubted. They were in despair. How could this be? What's going on? But I believe that Joseph and Nicodemus believed there was still something yet to happen. I think they still believed that Jesus was their Lord. And in some way, salvation was being accomplished. This was not a senseless or purposeless death. You see, the reason for Jesus' death is all about our sin and our salvation. God had said from the very beginning to mankind that if you disobey me, you will die. And that's the result that came when the first humans disobeyed God. And their disobedience has been passed on to us. And so God has said the soul that sins will die and the wages of sin is death. But God had also immediately promised those first humans that they would be saved that somebody would die in their place, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is that righteous one who had no sin, but he died in our place because our sins were imputed to him. Our sins were put on him. He carried our guilt, and now we've been freed of that. The debt that we owe God has been paid by Jesus, and the curse for our sin has been removed from us. It's that truth then that moved these two men to show their reverence for their Lord and Savior. Now they come and show their love. They take his body down. They anoint it. They wrap it. And they put it in Joseph's new tomb. You realize everything those men were doing? in that short amount of time? I don't think they had burial stuff just sitting around at home. They had to quickly go out and buy that stuff, and it was expensive. But that didn't matter. The time, the task, the treasure that was needed, they would give it all for the one who gave his all. For they understood that he who was rich became poor for our sakes, so that we 
through his poverty, would now become rich. Their act of reverence here started first with faith. And so it is for us too. As we look at the burial of Jesus, we look forward to the resurrection of Jesus. This was a new tomb. Nobody had been laid in it before. It had never seen decay. And it wouldn't now either. For as the psalmist would tell us, your Holy One will not see decay. In three days, Jesus would rise again from the dead, showing that he had won, won over sin, won over devil, won over, the, over death. And it's a message for you and me, that as Jesus lives, so will we too. His resurrection shows us our resurrection. And now we can let that burial and that resurrection of Jesus also move us. As our vision moves forward and we look ahead and we see our own eternal life, then right now we can be moved to service. Joseph and Nicodemus didn't have the burial of Jesus on their calendar. Buying all the funeral preparation stuff, I don't think was in their budget. But it didn't matter. They were moved by their love for their Lord who gave their, his life for them to give whatever they could to honor him. Now let me ask you, what do you see when you look at the burial of Jesus? Do you see the cross? Do you see its purpose for your life? If you need to have some vision correction, start simply with this. See the purpose of Jesus' cross for your life. To take away your sins. To give you eternal life. To make you right in your relationship with God. And when you know that, then your voice is going to sing. You're going to be filled with joy, and you will want to praise your Savior for what he's done for you. Now, John had also noted that this day was the day of preparation for the Passover, a day in which they would be reminded of a lamb that was sacrificed to give them freedom from their slavery in Egypt. Now the Passover takes on a new meaning, a lamb, the lamb of God who was sacrificed to give us freedom and life. And today, it's our time of preparation. Today is a time for us to prepare our hearts and our souls to be ready to always see the purpose of the cross and then to step up and to serve, recognizing it's not just about me, it's about all of us, and it's about all of them. This is a time of preparation for everybody, and now we have the privilege to step up and show our reverence and serve our Lord. Cross-eyed. Not a problem. It's the correct way to look at things. I remember my mom telling me when we'd cross our eyes as kids, don't do that or your eyes are going to stay that way. Mom, I hope so. Because that's where I see my future. Amen.